For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. As the Apostle Paul winds down his explanation for his delay in coming to the Thessalonians, we get some very valuable insights into what our Christian lives should be all about. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Strengthen and Encourage. Have you ever wondered how people back in the day, back in ancient times, uh, ever got along without modern communication devices. I think we kind of take that for granted, you know, in seconds to be able to uh, talk to somebody and connect wherever you are for whatever reason across the whole face of the earth if necessary, you know, vital information. I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, iPhones and texting and tweeting and emailing and FaceTiming All of that. I ran across those stats again that just are amazing. 36 billion, with a B, outbound texts every day. 18 billion texts inbound received. A total of 50-plus billion texts a day that are flying all over the place. People have very strong thumbs. And... You know, modern technology lets us inform others what's going on right away, get some important information to these people to notify change of plans or a change of heart or to send for emergency help or to explain, to answer concerns, you know, like where are you at or why are you late or why are you no show? And then we can say, I see how it is, meanie emote. Tacon, you know, little meanie face there. I see how it is. I think I'm going to use one right now. I see how it is. Uh, I can't even imagine a host of problems and frustrations, complications, just because you can't communicate. And that's exactly what's going on here in Thessalonica and what's prompting the topic of chapter two and three. Things have gone with misunderstandings because of an inability to communicate. They're 350 miles apart, but back 2,000 years ago, that was a very far distance. And so to bring you up to date, if you've missed a couple Sundays, the church planners, as we like to call them, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, uh, by God's grace, used by the Holy Spirit to plant a church, to start a church. They went into a town uh, to Europe for the very first time. Uh, There was a response to the gospel, and there was a church started in Philippi. And then they went south, and they started another one in Thessalonica. And so now there's this little church, you recall, fast and furious, three weeks of, uh, of sharing the gospel and having people respond. And you remember what happened. It was only three weeks because there were some Jewish leaders in the synagogue who started to get jealous and a little irritated that everybody was leaving the synagogues and going to Jason's house, who was a Greek, not a Jew, and Paul was preaching the gospel there, and this little church was growing. And so they stirred up, these bad guys stirred up a mob, and and they went crazy, and they went hunting for Paul 
and Silas and Timothy, but they only found Jason, the host. And they dragged this brand new believer out of his house, along with others, downtown, kind of give him a, a beating, and then they had a post bond. Well, those guys said to the church planners, we got to get you out of here. They're going to kill you guys. So they escorted them out of town, and they left with apparently the understanding, Paul saying, we'll be right back. We'll be right back. As soon as the dust settles, as soon as we get situated, I'll be right back. You know, they needed him. They're brand new. They're three weeks old in the, in the faith. And he's promised. He said, hey, you know, we're, we're being torn apart, but we want to come right back to you. Well, the weeks turned into months. It hadn't been a year yet, but those are long months when Thessalonica is bearing down on them with great hostility. They don't have any resources. They have the Holy Spirit, which is sufficient. But they're longing for Paul, and they're waiting every day. Is he back? Is he back? We're barely holding on. They're killing us here. Where's Paul? Where's Timothy? And all of this. And the opponents took advantage of that and started saying, oh, they don't love you. They don't even keep his promise. You guys are a bunch of chumps. That's what happened here. And they took advantage of you. They're frauds and hypocrites. And so, wow, just because they couldn't say, the Thessalonians wanted to say, hey, Paul, where are you at? Why are you late? Why are you not showing up? Frowny face, right? <laughs> and Paul could have taken care of it so easily, but he couldn't. Instead, he's going to say, listen, uh, soon I'm going to be able to express myself. And he does in a letter that they will soon receive. It's called First Thessalonians. And he's explaining the whole situation here in chapters 2 and chapter 3. He said, even though I couldn't come to you, listen, I couldn't come to you, but I, I managed to send Timothy to you. And then he continues in verse 1. Let's read the passage. So when we could stand it no longer, Paul speaking to them, we thought it best to be even left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. He continues on, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the peace of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. 
So that's our passage for this morning's uh, reflection. There's a lot going on there. You know, it's so funny because he's just explaining the situation, but indirectly, since it's the Word of God, there's so many vital insights for us, and we see a lot here. So this is going to bring an end to a two-chapter defense of Paul's motives and his ministry, the gospel, and an explanation now closing out this whole vindication topic by explaining, hey, here's what happened. It looked bad. I know we're supposed to get back to you, uh, but chapter two, he started saying, hey, there's spiritual warfare, and the devil's in, in the mix, and, and, and this is the reason why we couldn't come, but I did send Timothy. So that's where we're picking up now. There are three kinds of takeaways that I see in our passage that can, uh, we're going to be putting up there. Uh, I see three things, you know. We, we get indirectly this beautiful concept of what the Christian life is all about. What, what, what ministry and our individual Christian serving God should boil down to. And, and number two, we also learn what our destiny is, part of it, right? I mean, if somebody said, hey, I, I know what your destiny is, wouldn't you want to be a little bit interested, right? I mean, this one, it sounds like bad news, but actually is good news. And then lastly, we get to share in some of Paul's good news. And as he's rejoicing, he's just over the top joy when he gets Timothy's news. Uh, there's some lessons in there for us as well. Now, so if you're a note taker and you like brevity, here you go. Purpose, destiny, and good news. That's the heading. Well, let's pull out the verses about uh, the purpose of our lives as Christians and being a servant of the Lord. Uh, First of all, in these verses, we get to see in one sentence what Christian ministry is all about, and that has a purpose and a goal and a focus. You know, we do a lot of stuff. There's 11 slides, people, of stuff to do around here, but there is always, in our thinking, one sentence that guides every single slide, every single activity, every single association. Did you get that? Not the adventure, yeah. Every single adventure. We're not just saying, hey, we need to get, get together and do something, you know? That's never the thinking of a biblically grounded church. There's a reason for our madness. There's, there's, there's a reason we do things, and there's, here it is in one simple sentence, not just corporately, but individually, to strengthen and encourage others in their faith. If you need a definition, am I a good Christian? Am I doing what God wants me to be doing? Ask yourself the question, how often, how effective, how upfront in my thinking is this one goal to strengthen and encourage others in their faith? Because you, my friend, are going to have an evaluation, and it's going to be based on one sentence. Were you others-centered? Were you even thinking of taking care of God's people? You know, not as vocational ministers do, but just as an ordinary person. In fact, the word for lay person comes from the, Greek, the Latin word lycus, which just simply means ordinary or normal, as opposed to abnormal. <laughs> as opposed to to vocational, professional, 
ministers, and that is to whom God, the, the Lord is speaking. Who's a minister in the Bible? The word is translated from a Greek word, diakonos, which means deacon or waiter or servant, and he uses that of every Christian. Every Christian is a servant of the Lord. So apparently in your ordinary life, in my ordinary life, how you parent, raising your babies, going to work, in your hobbies, in your life, everything, you're strengthening and you're encouraging others' radar is always on because that is the bottom line theme to the Christian life. And why it's so important is because you want to hear, well done, good and faithful minister, that's the word. And it's not just going to say that to the vocational guys. He sees you as his servant, as his minister. And, and, and let me just prove it before we dive in even further. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, he says, follow my example as I follow Christ. Who's he talking to? At a pastor's conference in Corinth? I don't think so. That church is the most messed up New Testament church that we have. They're filled with a bunch of spiritually immature, crazy Christians. And he's telling them, the things you see in me, put into practice. What did he tell? He's not telling them pastors. Now, he's telling them, be like me. And what is my life about? Uh, Strengthening and encouraging others in their faith. Yeah, you can do that in your ordinary life, wherever you are. Now, talk about that. And so he, I mean, he goes on. He tells the Philippians, whatever you have learned, not pastors, the Philippians, just normal church people. He says, hey, listen, Christians, whatever you've learned, received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice. We all know what the Apostle Paul's life was about. It was about making sure everybody in my sphere of influence is okay. Watching out for people's souls, caring about their destiny. You know, always having, you, you know, that radar going on in your, in your heart and life. Who am I talking to here? Uh, where, where are they? Do they love the Lord? Do they not? Are they having a hard time? Uh, where's, where's the gap? Where's the weakness that I can supply? How can I, how can I help? I really like what one uh, pastor wrote. He said, uh, where is that quote? It's a really good one. He says, everybody should leave. Oh, there it is. Huh. You see what I'm up against? I'm up against that, people. All right? I need the gift of the Holy Spirit just to get through this. And I'm following it. There it is. Here's what he said. Everyone should leave us. Everyone around us is a mission field. They should leave our presence a little closer to Christ, a little stronger in their commitment, a little less burdened, and a lot more encouraged in their faith because they spent some time with us. And so many times I don't think that's happening. That you missed an opportunity, you're going to be dinged for that. God is seeking that you're always on call 24-7 to do what? One sentence, that's all he's asking. Strengthen 
and encourage others in their faith. You've got to do a little work there, figure out, discern, be intentional for that to happen. Well, what's the word strengthen mean? Because we, if we've got to do it, we've got to know what it means. And it's usually, in classical Greek, only used in construction terms. So in other words, they use it to fortify a building or to retrofit a bridge or to reinforce a wall or to underpin a roof. Okay, got that? How do I do that to a person, right? To a new believer. Well, there's nothing more stabilizing or strengthening than the word of God. So if you sense there's an area that needs to be retrofit with God's truth instead of a worldly perspective, right, then we bring that word of God, you see? I mean, it doesn't always have to be a sermon, but there's a biblical way of thinking to teach people not to live by their feelings, but by faith. Or, or how to live by faith and not by sight alone. Or uh, to have a biblical perspective. Uh, or how to pray and trust. But the real deal is modeling for them. Oh, I learned so much by watching my youth pastor, who just took such good interest and care of my family as new believers. There were a bunch of us teens. My sister was included in the youth group. We all got saved. I was 19, Jody was 18, my brother Darian was 17, and my brother Judd was 36 <laughs> when he got saved. But he was actually 12, but he wasn't a part of things until about a month ago when he received the Lord, right? But praise the Lord for that. However, I watched this man, you know, He strengthened my faith by the way he lived, by the way they walked through. They wanted to have kids so bad. Oh, everybody knew it. And she just wasn't getting pregnant. And then she got pregnant, and the whole world knew about it. We were so excited. They had been married about 10 years. And then she lost the baby. And I watched. I was brand new. I watched them grieve, and I watched how they loved the Lord through it and continued to serve him and didn't duck out of services, didn't isolate, didn't feel sorry for themselves, didn't blame God. I, you can preach a sermon about those things to me, and that would be necessary, but seeing it in their lives, oh, man, you know, they say more truths are caught than taught, Right? And, and that's what he's saying. We sent Timothy to live with you. Because if he lives with you, you're going to be strengthened because you're watching him get up in the morning with his Bible and read. And you're concluding, oh, maybe I should get up in the morning and get my Bible and read, right? Instead of someone telling you, you know what you need to do? No, you just need to watch. You know, you just need to watch. So that's the word uh, strengthen. Now to, to encourage, you know? Yeah. That's the softer side. The word there, parakaleo, it's the word for the Holy Spirit. He's called the comforter. And the word parakaleo in the Greek simply means to the call to come alongside, to help. It's, it's this encouragement that doesn't need to have a sermon or a Bible verse, though they often do. But it's to express a warm interest in somebody to say, can we go out for a burger? Sometimes, you know, uh, going out for a burger is better than a Bible verse, and I can't even believe that I'm saying that, but I'm telling you, yeah, 
it, it is. You, the encouragement part is this. Come alongside. Listen. Care. Look at them when they're talking to you. It says that, that is encouragement. Affirm what they're doing right. Show an interest. Hey, let's go play Frisbee golf. And you don't have to have an altar call there, even though I would like to do that when I go Frisbee golfing. You know, listen, if you err on the side of over-spiritualizing uh, everything, right, and you can't get through a golf game without the gospel coming out and the whole thing, then you need to just kind of slow your roll a little bit and just kind of understand that some of that can be not encouraging, but also kind of annoying, all right, and not helpful, right? Now, on the other hand, you who only play frisbee golf and never talk about God ever because it's not in your place, you're not a minister, oh, you need to ramp it up a little bit and learn a couple verses and start sharing. So, you know, there's no excuse to go out of here and say, well, Pastor Ross said we just need to buy people burgers. <laughs> and we don't need to say anything about Jesus. No, I think you know you have the Holy Spirit and he's talking to you, right? And he's telling you, if you're over here, come back over here. If you're over here, come back over here, right? But it is your responsibility not to say, well, I'm saved, and so now I'm not going to hell, and so you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to come to church and listen and get fed and fed and fed and make sure I'm okay. That is warped and twisted theology. You're supposed to be being fed so that you can feed, refreshed so that you can refresh, save that you can sit. Save, amen? Yeah. I gotta calm down. Oh, <laughs> uh, then now we have there are three objectives in Timothy's trip, and you just got the first one to strengthen and encourage them in their faith by what he does and says and how he lives. But second, the second objective here is interesting to make sure by the strengthening and encouragement that their trials, their troubles, and their pressure, that word has the idea of pressure, uh, doesn't unsettle, great word, check it out in your text, that it doesn't unsettle anyone. So the second objective, that they don't, and here's the, what the word unsettle means. So that no one will unsettle. That word is a Greek idiom to wag the tail of the dog. And here's what it means, you know, when trouble comes, oh, oh, first of all, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, trouble comes, oh, I'm not so sure. Oh, I'm fully committed to the Lord, I'm serving the Lord. Trouble comes, you have your questions, you have your falling out, and whoa, there goes the tail again. Yeah, I'm committed, I'm not committed. I'm in church, I'm not in church. I'm praying and worshiping the Lord, I'm not. Because why? Because trouble comes, and it unsettles you, and upsets you, and it moves you around in your faith. That's called spiritual immaturity. He's trying to anchor you down that you are who you are come hell or high water. There's a commitment involved that you understand that the Lord is at work strengthening you. Right? And he says, uh, listen, he says uh, that these trials, interesting word, isn't it? Now, uh, you may be asking yourself, who's on trial? Uh, you are. What's on trial? Your faith. Trouble has come. It has put you on the witness stand, and we're going to find out at the end of verdict. Are you legit or not? The trial. That's why you call trials. Now, I got to admit, when I was 19 and 
got saved and I was in that church, I heard everybody talking about trials, right? And my first thought was, why are all these people being sued, right? <laughs> I, was, I had never, I just, somebody said, hey, pray for me, I got a, a, a tr- big trial. And I just thought, well, I hope you win it, you know? <laughs> the trial is testing to see if you really are who you say you are. And nothing will reveal what's in the heart than a little outward pressure and a little heat. You turn up the heat and then suddenly the heart is exposed. And then suddenly we know, are you in the Lord anchored or are you wagging all over the place because we don't really know who you are. What did the Lord say? He said, the word of God is pictured like a seed and it goes into somebody's heart. And some hearts, bam, springs up. There's this, this flower with great joy and tears and oh, praise the Lord, I found the light, right? And then he says, oh, hold on. Then the sun comes out and it's a really hot day and they can't take the heat. And that little joyful plant that just sprung up is now withered away to nothing. Why? Because it was a trial, a test, and they failed. They failed. Why? The sun came out and it was really hot and they couldn't stand it. So the tail wagged. They said, that's not what Christianity is all about. And, and more than that, revealing what's on the inside, you know, you, know, you, know, you get your hand stuck in a car door you know, you find out right away what's going on on the inside, right? Yeah, right away. You, you know, we can't tell when everything's cool in church. We can't tell. We can't tell. judge what's really in your heart. But all you need is a little pain, a little surprise, a little ouch. And then, then it all comes out. And we're not just talking about a little slip of profanity. We're talking about, does God really love me? Out it comes. Is there, how could a God let me go through this kind of, oh, they're so squeezing that out now, and now you've been revealed. But most mature Christians have a different take on these trials. They've come to help us, not only to reveal, to test around, to make sure it's the real stuff, but look what James says. It's kind of a conspiracy against us here. You know, they all think, look, he's saying, be happy about it. Consider it all joy. My brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, <laughs> knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, it's working for you. It's teaching you how to be strong and patient and long-suffering and mature and, let, and cooperate with the process. Have it, let endurance have its perfect results so that you'll be perfect and complete lacking nothing in your faith and in your character. Oh, just, you know, knowing, God, thank you, you've allowed this. I'm praying about the parts I don't like and wish you to remove, and I think that's right that we do that, but I'm cooperating with it, Father. Do the work that needs to be done in me through this fiery experience. Come on. You put some clay 
in the, in the oven, in the kiln, and, and out comes a porcelain that can live through the Ming Dynasty. I was watching Antiques Roadshow, and this, this guy's looking at this thing, and he's got a pointer, and he's pointing to things, and he says, this is clearly from the 13th century Ming Dynasty. What? It hasn't broken in all that time? You know what? That, that's been a long, that's been a long time. I'm like, careful with that thing, buddy, pointing around like that. But you know what? It was heated so hot in the firing process that that thing's indestructible. It's been around since Buddha, you know? I think that's a long time. <laughs> so it puts you in the oven. It happens. He says, it's for your good. Look there, Paul, it's not just James and it's not just... John, it's all of them. They're all in cahoots with this. You know, Paul says, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know suffering's producing perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope's not going to disappoint us because God's poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He comes through for us, right? But it's working in me. That takes the sting out of all kinds of pressures and sufferings. This is for my benefit. And he says, and here's our second point, verse four, you know you've been destined for them. You know, now this is not one of those promises that we, we, we put in promise boxes on the kitchen table. <laughs> you know, oh, what did you get today? Oh, praise the Lord. I'm destined for persecution. <laughs> Second Timothy goes along with that, right? Second Timothy chapter three, verse 12 says, anybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will always suffer some form of persecution. That's just how it is. What I love about the, the boldness here and the, the no pulling punches about uh, destined for trouble as a Christian is that it's not in the fine print. It's not unrealistic expectations. Nobody promises us in the Bible, hey, come to Christ and have all your problems solved and have all, all happiness and, and God will make you wealthy and healthy. That's a false teaching. Because Jesus says, if you come to me, they're going to persecute you. He says, Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But you know, I like that it's not in the fine print. Neither should we give false impressions to people, right? Neither should we discourage them and say, oh, oy vey, it's terrible. You're going to suffer in all of this. But it makes sense to me that it is our destiny once we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts to, to have persecution. It's our destiny, and it makes sense because there are three arenas when you come from the world into faith, into God's kingdom, there are three arenas of destined strife. Number one, of course, is faith in Christ puts us at odds with the world that doesn't appreciate absolute truth. You cannot have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ in you who taught about marriage, the sanctity of marriage, uh, how God created us, uh, the sanctity of life, what's wrong and what's right when a world sees what's wrong and thinks it's right and what's right is wrong in the world. You can't exist in that world without a little bit of friction happening. So you are destined by the nature of what's happened to you. You can't get around that or you're not a Christian. 
If you're a Christian, you're at odds with how the world thinks. Who's in charge of this world lowercase charge? The evil one. First John says, who's in charge of this messed up world system? The whole world, and I'm quoting the Bible, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. His system is in play. God said, John 15, Jesus says, I've plucked you out of it. You still live in it, but you don't belong to it. And now you're shining from a different citizenry, from heaven. Of course, you're destined. You don't rub somebody the wrong way. And all the issues that are now currently out in the world, we are just opposite of all of that. And you're bound to get smacked around a little bit. Yeah? So secondly, it puts us in odds, at odds, I should say, with the devil. There's a devil. He's talked about him. He's going to talk about him twice. And his crew, who they don't like losing ground, nor do they like losing you or losing souls. And so what did First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 say? Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. You know, I know you think you're insignificant and the exception to this rule, but he, does, he is talking to the layperson. And he's saying... Be aware, you have an enemy. He's looking for someone to, to chew up, spit out, and destroy. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. So there's a target on you. You declared war against somebody you can't see and somebody who doesn't like that you're advancing the gospel. So, of course, by nature of who you are and what you're called to do in this fallen world, you are destined. You have a target. You're playing on the, on, on the opposite team now, right? So that's all Paul's saying. Thirdly, the third arena, Christian conversion puts you at odds with your own heart, with your own mind. We have a sinful nature that survived conversion. If you don't believe me, ask a spouse. Ask your spouse. Hey, did my sinful nature sur survive my conversion to Christ? And they'll tell you, yes, it has. Every cell in our natural body wants to rebel against the living God. We have a heart that's desperately sick and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And so, listen, you want to know about suffering? How to tell yourself Day after day, moment after moment, no, you shut up. You stop thinking that. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, you've got to put that to death. That means take a knife and go to that thing that, that your heart is saying, oh, yeah, I need to see that, or I need to have that, or I need to think that thought. You've got to suffer. You are destined to suffer within your own body. Paul says, I fight like a madman, like a boxer, beating my body into submission, lest I find out that I preach to everybody else and I'm disqualified for prize. Why? Because I let that inner prompting of sinfulness, instead of crucifying it, I let it go. So yeah, of course you're destined to, to trouble and suffering and trials, because in, in three arenas of life in a fallen world, and here's the crazy part of all, it's easier than life without God. It works better. It, it is more fulfilling. 
and joyful and exciting. And, and so far from saying, oh, well, we're, we're destined for trouble. We're all going to die. What was the message on this morning? We're all going to die. Oh, no, 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 no. We're all going to die, and we're going to live forever and reign and rule with Christ because we overcome to the end. Because we are destined, and by our very struggle with the world, with our flesh, and with the devil, is evidence that God Almighty has done a saving work in our hearts and that we are destined not only for the persecution, but destined to stand before him in glory and be rewarded for every ounce of that struggle that we yielded to him will be rewarded against that day. And that, that's an awesome thing. And so, Timothy goes on now. Uh, Paul, about Timothy's third objective by being sent there. Uh, let's look at that and we'll finish up. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. He's afraid that in some way the tempter has tempted them to compromise. But Timothy's just come. He's brought some really good news. You're standing strong. You love us. Uh, you can't wait to see us. We can't wait to see you. How could we uh, thank God enough for all this good that your standing firm has caused us? We're so wanting to see you and pray that God will restore us to you so that we could minister more to you. So I told you there are three objectives. This happens to be our third point and our third objective uh, for sending Timothy. Why didn't Timothy go? He told him. All he said was Satan got in the way of me going. So I sent Timothy, very well thought out, well gifted man of God. I sent him instead even though that cost me something that made me be alone, I need him. I'm sick. We don't see that in the text here, but in other places we put it together. He's sick. He, see, he sees that a messenger of the devil's tormenting this guy. He can't get up there. So he sends Timothy, and this is the third objective. It is a reconnaissance mission of sorts. He wants them to, he wants Timothy to find out how they're doing in the faith. You know, they only were there three weeks. Is there, are they still standing? Now, go see how their faith is standing the strain. Now, love this idiom here. When we could stand it no longer in the Greek is a seal, a water seal, that's supposed to keep water out. And he's saying <clears throat> that the mounting suspense, wondering about them, and the concern and the passion building up for the... Uh, you know, not like the detractors say, but which is the case. He loves them. And he says, when I couldn't take it and that dam was about to burst, I said, I can't go, but I'm going to send Timothy. So he sends Timothy up there. Uh, and, and here's what he says. He says, I was so afraid that all of our efforts with you would have been a waste. Now, when he says that, it says useless. The word is to waste. It's our efforts might have been just a waste of time. Oh, I felt as a pastor. I resonated with that. And I wanted to speak to him and kind of almost correct him a little bit, which doesn't turn out to be correction. I wanted to encourage him and say, man, oh, yeah, you, you tried your best. God would have. Let's say Timothy went up there and said, there's not even a church there. Paul was afraid of that. 
And he said, oh, we would have failed. We would have wasted our time. I would say, Paul, God saw your heart. They have free will. You did your best. You're the apostle Paul, come on. You're filled with the Holy Spirit and, and you had gifts and abilities and you laid it out and they chose. But he would say, what good is that? What good is that? I carried the burden. The patient died, okay? The patient died. So it didn't matter if I went to Harvard or, or Johns Hopkins and I've got all of these degrees and, and, and I worked three months, night and day, to save the patient. You know, at the end of the day, they died right in front of me. So what good was it? Oh, that's part of the price of pouring into people is that sometimes you do feel like, oh, that was a wasted effort. And God will sort all of that out. But you can't get away from the grief and the, and the sorrow of that happening, right? And so... The second reference to the devil is here, and he calls him the, the tempter. He's afraid that uh, the tempter would have got in. Here, here's the thing. Paul's not afraid that the, he's not wondering if the tempter was tempting them. He's not ignorant of the schemes. The devil's always working in Christian lives, especially in the second church in Europe, the very second evangelical church. He's at work. He knows that. That's not the question. He wants to know, did they cave in? Did they yield to the tempter? Why did they call the devil in the Bible the tempter? Because that's sort of his job description, right? That's what he does. So he's called the tempter. And, and here we always think, boy, temptation. We think the big, besetting, passionate sins like David and Bathsheba. David was tempted, right? But here, it might have been a little bit more subtle. I was afraid that the tempter tempted you to be discouraged, to take your eyes off the Lord and put them on you and have a little poor me party. I was afraid that the tempter might have said, you know, you need a little downtime. You've been through a lot. Why don't you just stop going to the meeting places? Take a breath. You need some space and time to think. Because he knows what the next step is. He doesn't tell you, hey, why don't you this morning denounce the Lord, throw in the towel, and just become an atheist again? You know, he doesn't usually work that way. He's always the tempter. So slightly, he says to them, maybe, you know, why is God treating her like that? But you, look at your life. He said, I was afraid the tempter had gotten in and that you would have believed it and wagged away. But the good news here is just the opposite of Paul's concerns. He says, the patient's going to live. Paul's overjoyed. And he lists three things in our text this morning. I want to point that out to you. Timothy says he brings the good news, and actually it's the word for the gospel. So Paul says it was like getting saved. It was like that feeling of, of great new news, you know, that made him alive inside. So three things that Timothy says here. He says, Paul, they're standing firm in the faith. So he says, you're standing firm in your faith. You're not backsliding after all. You've had all of these problems, and look at you. You're still serving the Lord. You're trusting Jesus, walking with him every day in your hearts. are not hard. 
Trouble can make your heart, your heart hard, but he says it's soft and filled with love for God and for his people. That's awesome. And, and look at this great summary statement of what Christianity is about. Two words. Faith and love. He said, hey, he came back and he, we're so encouraged to hear about your faith and love. You're standing firm in faith and love. That's Christianity right there. Trusting in God, experiencing his love, and letting that love that he's poured in our hearts work itself out. It, what else is there? It's not rocket science. That's what the Christian life is all about. It's just beautiful. Stop overcomplicating things. Trust the Lord and live loving him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others like yourself. And Jesus said the whole Old Testament's fulfilled in that one sentence. And so the second thing he points out he says, your love for us remains strong. Phew, I was so glad to hear that. He said, you didn't drink the Kool-Aid. You know, they were, uh, you didn't believe the nonsense about us that we didn't love you and that we used you and we defrauded you. You didn't allow your hearts to be poisoned by the slander about us, by those jealous people. They hadn't allowed the propaganda against Paul to prevail. You know the feeling when you have maybe an awkward situation with somebody or you get the wrong vibe and you think someone important in your life is offended and doesn't like you, you know that sick feeling and you just think, oh. And then the next time you see them, they're all lit up when they see you and you start talking and laughing and joking and they're interested in something and you're like, oh, in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, no, no, everything's cool. There's nothing wrong. And you're so relieved, like, oh, I got the wrong message there, you know? I'm so glad. That's what Paul's saying. I got the impression that after hearing all that nonsense about us and how long we've been gone, that maybe your hearts would turn against us. But he says, I find uh, Timothy's words to be very encouraging. You have fond memories of us. You cherish happy uh, moments and memories of us. And they're just as, as anxious to see Paul and the guys uh, as they are to see them. And so that's awesome. And lastly, he says, your progress in the Lord has deeply encouraged me and us in our time of struggle. This is pretty cool. This shows how invested Paul is in people's lives. And he did say, follow me as I follow Christ. This is how invested we should be in people's lives because the Holy Spirit says, follow that guy, imitate him. This is his life. When he pours into somebody, when they're down, he's down. When they're up, oh, he's up, right? This is what's happening here. He says, I have renewed hope. There's motivation for me to keep fighting this thing out. You're an encouragement to our faith. Now, when, when I tell new Christians that, say, wow, man. And, I, and there were two couples. And I mean, I'm looking at people that are brand new in the Lord. And, and they're so exciting. They'll be sitting on the front row. Hello. And, and, and I'll tell them, you have no idea how much you've encouraged my faith in God. Oh, come on. You know. Oh, listen. I see God transforming you, you cooperating. I see the answer to so many prayers, and I see him working. And when you see God working, it doesn't matter that you're in vocational ministry. It doesn't matter that you've been serving the Lord 36 years. It does not matter. 
I get encouraged like, oh, there he is. There is a God. I mean, of course, I know there is a God. But when you see him afresh and anew, they're like, all we did is stop destroying our lives. How, how, did that, how did that encourage you? We haven't had time to do anything. You're on the front row of a church, and your presence is saying, you're doing a good job. That's what Paul is saying. I, I love what one writer said about it. You know I have to look for it, right? I'll show you. I'll show you afterwards. <laughs> I found it. Rutherford. He said, we were all together miserable and crushed, but your faith has recovered us. That's what those words mean in the Greek. Oh, man. That's just, I, by my attendance in youth group, I was saying to a pastor that I loved, I was saying, Pastor Bob, your work matters, man. Look at me. It's working. I'm here. I'm on the front row. I'm walking around. And I found that I could, in my private life, motivate myself to walk in obedience to God because of the blessing it brought to the leaders who poured themselves into me and spent hours and hours preparing and preparing and preaching and praying and loving and visiting and helping that I felt a moral obligation to encourage them by responding. And there I was. And that's what Paul's saying. How can I ever thank God for the breath of fresh air that you guys have brought? That when I heard faith and love is there, they love us, they can't wait to see us, he said, now I'm alive. Now I'm alive. Oh, man. I like being able to, by obeying the Lord, breathe life into those who have poured into me and praying for me. I like responding and saying, by just simply loving Jesus, I am encouraging and strengthening people that way. Never thought of that. Never thought about that. You know, light in a messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. So this good news has really made him alive. And those things, of course, prompted a response. He said, we can't stop thanking God for you. We know it's all about God and what he's doing in your life. Final sentence, I love it. He, 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 he prays that God would break down the spiritual uh, uh, hindrances so that he could come, and he will. He's going to visit them in five years. Interesting. In five years, he's going to see them. But look what he says. Look at this guy. <laughs> night and day, night and day, I believe him. He's a busy guy. He's always thinking and praying for them. We pray most earnestly, and just check him out. Now, when we see you, we supply what is lacking in your faith. Great Greek idiom there. It means to see a gap in a net, a fisherman's net, and to mend it, right? Or it means to, as a surgeon with a bone that's broken, to reset the broken bone, right? So the idea is I got to come I'm sure there might be some doctrinal holes, gaps, or maybe some ethical holes, 
but we're going to, I'm coming to stitch that up or put that bone in place so that you can be complete and whole. Once again, what is it? Strengthen and encourage faith in others. That's what the guy lives for. Now, on that great day, when you see the Lord and we're all together around the throne, there are no more gaps. You have a body like his glorious body, Philippians chapter 3. You will have a body like the resurrected son of God who is equal to God himself. He's the second person of the Godhead. And it says your body is going to be similar to his glorious body. Oh, you won't need any nets mended. (laughs) You won't need any bones reset, you know. And this is a process that goes on in my life. I still have gaps. I need mending. And then it'll get mended, it'll get torn open a little bit. I've got to mend it again. I've got a bone that keeps going out. I've got to get... That's this life. That's why your call and my call is always to strengthen and to encourage others in their faith. And part of that is, hey, let's help mend this. Let's straighten this bone. Put a little splint on it like that. But where we're going and your destiny is none of that ever again. A different set of responsibilities will come. And we're going to find those very shortly when Christ appears for the church as promised as we see prophetic truths lived out before our very eyes. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful truths we got to talk about today. Just who would know it as Paul's just chatting about his situation and explaining why he's been away and how he sent Timothy, that there's so many rewarding and valuable insights there for us to live by. We pray, Father, that you bless our time as we now uh, commemorate your death on our behalf by celebrating your supper, Lord, that the Passover supper. In Christ's name, we ask this. Amen. Well, the reason we're okay with having big gaps and broken bones in our life spiritually is because of this, what Christ has done for us that covers those gaps until we do, do not have any uh, shortcomings when we stand complete before him. But until that day, We've got grace that covers because he died for us and shed his blood for us. And so the ushers are going to come forward and we're going to enjoy some time in his presence, reflecting on the greatest act of love that God himself would lay down his life. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.